Welcome to another episode at the Fitness Oracle. Today, we sit down with Zoe Thompson from Phoenix Life Coach. Zoe, who had worked for the police services for 20 years before she was made redundant, made the decision to start her own lifestyle and wellness coaching business. Now, this is an interesting uh, this is an interesting take on life and change and mindset because we're all coming she's all bringing her experience as a cop to trying to help people in a different in a different manner in this episode where we talk about mindset we talk about managing change we talk about values talk about purpose and making life choices and how they affect you now like I said, this is coming from an ex-cop's perspective, and it's really, really, really going to be a really good show and a really interesting uh, looking at all these topics that we always talk here about uh, here at the Fitness Oracle. So as usual, guys, grab a pen and paper, grab a cup of joe, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people just like you, with real stories just like yours. And this is one of their stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Zoe Thompson from Phoenix Life Coach. She is a lifestyle and well-being coach and has been since 2017. She has worked for the police services for 20 years before she was made redundant and made a decision to start her own business. She is a mom of a two, 20 year old young man. She lives, she loves staying active, watching basketball, and was once a competitive strong woman. Zoe, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Good. It's a little cloudy here in the Sunshine State, but I think we're coming. Uh, I think we're having a uh, uh, tropical storm coming through how's Ooh. how's the uk well, we have our week of sunshine so this is our week of summer and tomorrow tomorrow will rain so we'll probably be on to another season tomorrow so we we have to take the sun when it comes and make the most of it so what happens in the uk for anyone who hasn't ever visited is it gets like five degrees higher than usual the sun comes out and all of a sudden everybody's like in summer gear like it's a heat wave so we have to make the most of it when it happens it doesn't happen very often well that's good that's good i remember it's those, sunny today uh, I, I remember those days back in toronto it's the <laughs> yep very similar, similar. very similar <laughs> um what got you into this line of work what was that shift for you well, before my redundancy, um, which wasn't expected, but before my redundancy, um, while I was working in the police, I had a secondary role as a self-development trainer and also uh, was a coach and mentor. So I was a senior leader um, whilst I was employed there. So when the redundancy came in, I kind of took all of the bits that I had loved doing 
um, and thought, actually, do I, I didn't want to work for anybody else. I've been there for 20 years. I've never worked for anybody else. So I figured if I had this opportunity, then this was my chance to make the most of it and create the business. So I took all of the things that I love doing with the police and I had a role in business change as well. So personal change, business change, leadership, well-being, self-development, took all of those things and Phoenix became what it is. I mean, it's evolved a fair bit over the years, but it's the, the fundamental um, ethos is, is all still there. That's awesome. Um, has there been times where you wanted to quit? Oh, do you know, people ask that quite a lot. I think that's quite common with people who are self-employed, but no, there hasn't. I, I did have conversations early on uh, when I first started and I spoke to a couple of couple of friends and said, don't let me knee jerk reaction in the first couple of months. So I know it's going to be really difficult. Don't let me panic and don't let me do anything crazy in the first couple of months. You give me till Christmas. So this was in the August, give me till Christmas. And then I'll sit down and I'll review it probably over Christmas. Um, and that review never happened because things just, things just kept it evolving. And I've never woken up and thought I can't do this or I want to go and get a job. I haven't had that. I know people do get that. I haven't had that. I've I think I just feel in a very fortunate position because I know that's that's not the case for everybody. But no, never, never felt like quitting. I, I think that's probably slightly representative of my character as well in that stubbornness of I'm normally the last person to quit. And I probably should quit some things a lot earlier on than I do. So there's, it's probably a strength and a weakness all at the same time. I hear you loud and clear on all those notes. I'm like the most stubborn person in the world that, uh, and everybody tells me I'm the most stubborn person to deal with, to deal with. But uh, I have to, uh, I have to admit there has been lots of times where I just want to say, you know what, enough's enough. Like the mm. podcasting, it's people really understood how much work goes into releasing a podcast and you're doing it on your own. It's like a full-time job and some. So yeah. it's, it's, uh, but I hear you, I, I hear you where, you, where uh, it's like, you don't want to do anything else, but what you're doing. Yeah. Um, did that come with, uh, while you were working in the police station, did you still have that same love for the work that you're doing with a police department? Yeah, I was, I was really lucky that I, uh, so I was um, police staff, so like civilian officer. And that meant that I had that freedom of choice when jobs came up to be able to apply for them and move around. And I probably changed roles on average about every four years. So started off like low level receptionist and then control room and did major crime for a little while. And then in, I was seconded then into a change program um, and I loved it. And when I could feel that I was starting to get a bit bored or you know, getting a little bit itchy about looking elsewhere and wanting to wanting to kind of challenge myself a little bit more. I would start to look out to see what other jobs would be, or you know, see what jobs were being advertised. And yeah, it was I didn't. I mean, I didn't get all of them. They're quite often I you know wasn't successful. But yeah, I was really fortunate to be able to have lots of different opportunities while still employed by the same people. So it's uh, so you've got that security, that safety of knowing that you've got that employment. Um, but that variety of lots of different roles that you can you can go for. So yeah, it worked out worked out really well. And I think 
Had that not been the case, I probably wouldn't have stayed for 20 years because I do get bored, I do get bored quite quickly. So I think it, it was a really good, it was a really good fit. And you know, the police has got so much variety in terms of what what it does that you know you could pretty much you could do anything. You know, there's it's pretty much covers most types of work in there. So yeah, it worked well. Uh, that's uh that's great i mean i mean working in the police department i'm sure i know a lot of police officers back home in toronto and they have like this bulletproof mindset when it comes to their to their work and and not just to their work but to their life as well like it bleeds into their life and it's it's actually quite admirable to see them you know so single-minded on a task how does that how did that mindset that you built in the police department spill over to what you're doing today? I think there's lots, I mean, so many of the skills and experiences have, have transferred over. I think what has been interesting for me is that a lot of the roles that I did with the police were very much sort of responsive. So you dealt with what came in as and when it came in. You didn't plan because you didn't know. So lots of the roles that I did um, you went into work and you, you kind of had your to-do list, but most of the work was dictated by what happened that day. So I definitely have tapped into that skill, that mindset of being really fluid to the unexpected, being really responsive to the unexpected. So when, when COVID happened with the business, it was like, oh, okay, the unexpected, I can do this and I can manage the thing that you don't, you don't know what's happening and you don't know what to do next because so much of the police is about gather the information that you've got, make a decision, review, make a decision, review, but lots of taking action. What I find most hard is the planning ahead because not many of the jobs that I had were about planning ahead long-term. So even now I only plan business stuff sort of 12 weeks in detail, 12 weeks in advance. So I have an idea of what I want over the year, but I only plan to the detail 12 weeks ahead. So that that's been more of a challenge the planning um the, the preparation for things the more kind of slower pace stuff I find more of a challenge because you just don't get that in a police environment so even when I worked on change programs you know everything had to be rolled out and, and handled really quickly so yeah that's been very different it's a it feels like it's a much slower pace sometimes but what I tend to do is throw some short sharp things into the mix that helps to shake it up a little bit and it just it gives me that variety and, and you know, it does stop me from getting bored too quickly but thankfully I don't have to write reports so that's that's a bonus <laughs> but I do have to do the finances so you know you can't you can't have it all I guess no you can't no you can't um I remember I've never worked as, as a police officer or in the police department but I've worked uh, multiple years as a security guard and an armed guard and I have to I have to agree with you. I mean, not to the level of what police officers have to deal with, but like just sometimes you walk into work and you're like, why did I even wake up today? <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I've not had that. Thank that that's been that's been pretty good. But I mean the, the days where I don't feel maybe quite as motivated or maybe pick off some of the low-level admin tasks or graphics or something where I can just sit and kind of chill it doesn't feel so much like work it's it's a bit easier but it's hard isn't it it's hard to find that balance and I think especially when you've done different jobs in the past of 
incorporating where you know you work best into into your business and I you get to shape that a lot more being self-employed that's sure that you're not being told what to do and when to do it by that helps um but also it's just me myself and I so you still have to get everything done do you find that it's like a catch-22 because uh nobody's holding you accountable to meet deadlines no one's holding you accountable to reach your goals I mean, you're holding yourself accountable and it's easy to quit on yourself. It is, it is. Um, so I have, I have an accountability partner. Uh, I've got two actually. So I have another coach who I check in with. So we have a call once a month where we sit and talk through what like a peer, peer coaching supervisor, I guess, of talking through much sort of the sort of specific coaching uh, things that are happening. And then I also have uh, a, another person who's another business owner um, and we check in Monday and Friday so this is my to-do list for the week these are my priorities this is what I want to get done um, and we also meet every quarter and do planning and sort of ask each other questions and check in and it's quite nice to have that accountability but ultimately it's still me holding myself accountable I'm asking her to help me to hold myself accountable I'm not asking her to make me accountable if that makes sense it's still my responsibility and you know if you want a successful business you've got to put the work in and you've got to be consistent you, know, you can't you can't just go 60 miles an hour Monday Tuesday Wednesday and then there's still four more days left in the week so you, you've got to be consistent I'm laughing because that's me like, <laughs> I'm laughing because that's me I'm being honest and transparent here I go 60 miles an hour for like three four days out of the week and then the rest it's like full stop uh just Disney plus or Netflix for the rest of the week oh there's there's some very tempting distractions uh on those channels that's for sure especially you know I'm a massive Marvel fan so Disney plus is a big big distraction for me so yeah. <laughs> thankfully my son's on it a lot of the time and there's only one of us can log on so that helps <laughs> <laughs> um your experience is a strong woman i have i think you're probably the first strong person i've had on the show and ah, okay. I, I love watching the competition it, it yeah. always has been one of my favorite competitions to watch and it takes a real level of commitment and mindset in order for you to get there. Well, I would ju I'm just curious, what was your journey like to get to the Strong Woman competition? Well, it, it wasn't a planned one, that's for sure. Uh, I, I fell into it. I fell into it you know, purely by accident. Um, somebody, I, I was, I was training, um, just your usual commercial gym type training. And somebody who had the same PT as me had said that they were doing an open day at a gym locally. She wanted to go, but she didn't want to go on her own. She asked me to go with her. We went down. Um, they let us play on some of the strongman equipment. And as we were leaving, the guy who owned the gym said he was looking to put on a, comp you know, run a competition for women. He'd been running competition for men for years and he said he wanted to put a competition on for women and would we be interested in signing up uh so signed up to that and uh just i really i did really enjoy it i really enjoyed the atmosphere it's a very supportive sport you know people will finish their event and then cheer on 
their competitors. You know, it's, it's, and you see that in the world's strongest man, you see that in the men's competitions too. Um, so did a couple of local competitions. My PT said to me, you know, when we're talking about New Year goals, you know, right, well, you know, you do well here, but where do you fit in in that bigger picture? And persuaded me to go to a regional competition. And so went to do that and ended up getting the final place for nationals, which was a shock, a bigger shock to me as anybody else. I remember ringing him in the car on the way home going, I don't know what just happened. He's like, are you okay? Are you injured? And I was like, I'm going to England and we have eight weeks. And he was like, I will see you in the gym in the morning and we will make a plan. So I had eight weeks to train for England's came forth at England's that qualified me for Britain's went to Britain's and came second which was in uh, it was insane I, I it was I was really uh really lucky and I know we're not supposed to use the word lucky but it, it was luck because we get no control over the events every competition they pick five events and you get a combination but ultimately it's down to the down to the organizer what events they pick but they picked lots of moving events which was great for me that's kind of my strength so I ended up getting second at Britain's which then qualified me for Europe's strongest women so almost a year to the day of my first ever competition locally I was competing at Europe's strongest woman uh, it, so it was a, a very quick it is one of those you know this escalated quickly kind of things in that you know that 12 months just it just flew by and it was just a constant uh, you know you talk about the mindset it was a constant fail and push and fail and push because I would I had qualified for competitions where the weights I can even lift the starting weights so I was training to just try and not zero on any of the events you know I just wanted to get one rep one rep of everything that was the goal um, so it is the training is it really pushes the mindset. I mean, physically, it's a big push, but mentally it's that I think that's the difference. That's what sets people apart is you've got to push through. You've got to believe that the training is going to work. And eventually, you know, the, the at Europe's Strongest Woman, there was a car deadlift. So I, I got to do the car deadlift in front of Magnus v. Magnuson, which was an unbelievable experience. But I, I couldn't get, you know, I started off with the tyre. That was where my training started was a small tyre practising how to pick it up and put it back down again. And then the tyres just got bigger. And then eventually it was the car. And on, on the day, 60 seconds, had over 20 reps, which was just, and adrenaline helps. Adrenaline definitely helps. But you have to trust the process. You have to, again, it's that consistency. It's showing up every session and giving it everything that you've got failing and going back in and pushing again and that for me just really tapped into something that I didn't know existed I didn't know I had that in me um, and again something that transfers into you know into business into into so many other things as well you said a couple of really good talking points that I want to touch up on uh, playing to your strengths do you think it's important to um play to your strengths and see your, uh, your, your weaknesses and try to improve the weaknesses to make them your strengths? I do. I do. I think one, one thing that I quite often talk about, especially talk about with clients is that quite often are our weaknesses 
are our strengths when they're out of balance. So we were talking earlier about how both of us are really stubborn. To me, in, in balance, that's drive, that's determination. It's stubbornness when it's overdone. It's stubbornness when there's too much of it. And so many of our weaknesses, when you look at it, it's there's a strength there. It's just not in balance. It's either not enough or too much. So I do think it is, it is about looking at, okay, what, what is the attribute that sits underneath this that actually if I turn it down a little bit or turn it up a little bit, it becomes the strength. Um, that for me, that's how I see the weaknesses there and an overdone or an underdone strength. And actually it's just out of balance, either out of balance for us as an individual or out of balance with a personal situation that we're with. Sorry, I have to mute my mic because the, it's starting. The tropical storm is starting ah, right. okay. and it's no lightning and thunder everywhere. So oh, forgive wow. me for muting myself. No, no, I don't fine. want to interrupt you. <laughs> um, that, that's amazing. And I, I love how you do, how you're, how, how you actually looked at the weaknesses and say that they're kind of just, they're a strength just out of balance. A lot of times when we play towards our weaknesses, we fail. And you said that a lot in the last in, in the last uh, segment where you kept failing and kept pushing yourself. How important to you is, is failure? And do you think that the modern education system and the modern life that we're living in, do you think that it's um, thrown failure or given failure a, a, a bad rap? Yeah, it does have such a bad connotation to it now doesn't it I'm for I think in in terms of strong women and in terms of strength training failure is becomes your next starting point so you fail a lift and that then is the target for the next time that's where you're aiming for or that's where your next starting point is what I learned through the strength training is that failure isn't a bad thing failure means you're pushing and that then is where you start to look at that becomes the goal, you know, that becomes the target. And eventually, you, you know that eventually you're going to hit that target and then you set a new target. And then you're, so even when you achieve, you're already setting yourself up ready to fail the next bit to get to the next target. And I think failure for a lot of people is, it's just finding a way that doesn't work. It's, failure is about testing things out. It's about that trial it's that transition, you know, for me, it's about finding what does work, what doesn't work. And you have to fail as part of that. And it's not always the entire thing is a fail. Sometimes it's just elements of it that aren't working so well that you can go away and, and tweak. I think failure has a bad rap. I think the education system it is really difficult. Uh, my, my sister's a teacher. I think, they, I think teachers do an amazing job within the constraints that they have. I don't think the education system as a whole is fit for purpose. Get shut down for that, but I, that's, my gen, that's my personal opinion. I think a lot of it is learning. It's, it's learning for repetition. It's learning to repeat things in exams. It's not necessarily learning to understand or learning to grow. Uh, and I struggled in school. I struggled with a classroom learning environment and I very deliberately choose my CPD and training now, which is practical, test it out, you learn, you try it, you test it, you play about with it, you find what works for you, what doesn't work for you. But the education system is about learning 
for an exam and, and you hear people saying this is what you need to learn for the exam but it's not about learning to understand or learning to play about with that information and use it in different ways and there's there's so much emphasis on pass or fail it's very binary isn't it so you've passed it or you failed it and life doesn't really work like that but also we need to fail we need to be terrible at things you know there's I work with young people and there's this real kind of pattern coming through where young people are most actively avoiding things because they don't think they're going to be good at it they'll avoid things because they they will only sign up to things if they think they're going to succeed and you miss out so much on that and I've had I've had people that I've worked with I'm like just okay what do you think you would be really rubbish at go and have some fun with it bowling why would you not go bowling everybody's rubbish at bowling like the shoes the whole thing about bowling is a terrible experience but it's so much fun and you can't avoid these things because you're not going to get that strike or you're not going to win you that's not why you're there nobody's there or I don't know I'm sure somebody is there to win at bowling but you would miss out on so much of the experience if you're avoiding things because you don't think you're going to be good at them and actually just signing up to things and giving them a go and being horrible at it is sometimes part of the fun that's where you you know it's where you learn where you grow isn't it and you find ways to laugh at yourself which is another key life skill it really is um and I didn't learn that until my late 20s right after I started getting out of my depression um I started to feel better when I was able to start laughing more at myself laughing at my failures making fun of them um, mostly because I was afraid of change. I was afraid of, of, of I was afraid of, you know, um, you know, what's behind the veil kind of thing. Like who's, who's, who's behind the veil pulling the strings. Yeah. I was afraid to look because change is scary. And like you said, the education system doesn't really teach us that what you believe now is going to change and what you believe is, 10 years later from yeah. now. Yeah, absolutely. How, how do you manage change and how do you train people uh, to help them manage cha- the changes in their lives? I try to help them to find the excitement and the opportunities in the unknown. And I, I think also help them to focus on what still will be the same because quite often when we experience change, we really home in on what's different or what we don't know, where quite often there's lots of things that will still stay the same. There will still be things that are the same or similar. So sometimes just helping people to see that not everything is changing. Certain elements will change, certain things will change, but there will also be some things that are familiar, that some things that are comfortable for them. And so then they can focus on what is changing and also to focus on the things that are in their control and focus on the things that are in their influence. There's always going to be things that are outside of their control and the unknown and the uncertainty is part of that. But if they can focus what they know now what can they what can they control now what can they influence now then they can add more things to that as things become known and as things change so it can feel very overwhelming can't it when when there's if you look at the whole picture but sometimes that's when the tunnel vision is really important and helpful because if you can just 
zone in on what you do know, what can you control, what can you influence, let's, let's work with that. And then when we work that bit out, then we can start to see what else is starting to shift and move into that zone that we can then focus on. Big picture is really important, but sometimes that tunnel vision and just shrinking things down. And that question, uh, the, the question that I ask a lot of people is, okay, there's a lot going on here. What is the challenge specifically for you right now? So in all of these things that are going on, what's the challenge specifically for you? Because something might be a challenge for other people. Some of it will be unknown. So what specifically is the challenge for you right now? And let's talk about that. Let's talk through that. The other question that I ask is get people to think about, I call them dominoes and and stones. So the domino is the first thing you need to tackle that's going to help all of the other things fall into place. Uh, The stone is the smallest stone that you can throw in that's going to have the biggest ripple effect across lots of different areas. So sometimes it will be a domino and sometimes it will be a stone, but focusing on the smallest thing that they can do that's going to make the biggest difference or have the biggest impact. If we can just focus on that, that just helps people to feel more empowered, that they feel like they're in more control, that they can take ownership, take responsibility, start to move things forward. Because I think that's the biggest thing. It's the overwhelm and it's the feeling out of control. That's quite often the biggest trigger for people feeling those very negative emotions is the out of control, the overwhelm or the frustration because they feel stuck. And so if they can feel like they're starting to move things forward, that can be, that can be a big help. I I love everything you said, but the, the, the problem is like a lot of introverts, introverts speaking from experience, mm-hmm. they have trouble verbalizing, you know, what's really bothering them. And um, it takes a lot of trust from the other, from the introvert to somebody who's asking these kinds of questions to open up. Mm-hmm. How do you go about, you know, cracking that introvert shell? I love working with metaphors. I love working with metaphors and and analogies. And that can really benefit into, it can benefit people like you've just been describing, who find it really difficult to talk about it, whether that's because they're an, an introvert, whether it's because there's trust or whether it's because what they're working through feels quite traumatic that actually they don't want to talk talk it through in detail, which is completely understandable. When you talk about things in metaphors or analogies, you're, the person is painting a picture of what things feel like now. They can describe it. I can understand that. So if you say to me, like, it's, you know, it's like a sandstorm and it's painful because it's, you know, it's hit me in the face and I can't see and I can't see very far in front of me. That's what it feels like. I, I can picture what that feels like. I don't know the situation that is creating that feeling, but I can understand how you feel in this moment. When I then ask the question, okay, how would you like it to be? And you start talking about, you know, a cool, calm island where the sand is all settled. It's just the gentle breeze and the waves are nice and slow. I know what that feels like too. So we can then talk about, okay, how do we get from the sandstorm to the calm beach? And we can still work through the steps in between 
without you ever having to share what you might not feel comfortable sharing for whatever reason. I've done a whole coaching session with somebody who's talked about this or that. And I've just asked lots of questions about this and about that. And they've moved it around and they've changed it and they've answered the questions. I still have no idea what this is or what that was. All I know is that by the end of the session, they had said they had some answers, they had some options, they had something to take away to put into action. No clue, absolutely no clue. But it's not our role as the coach to understand the client's problem. Our role is to be that thinking partner, to ask the questions, to help people to see things from a different perspective. And for that individual to then be able to explore those different perspectives and see what else might be possible from different perspectives. It's not our role to understand it. When we're asking questions, it's not because we're trying to understand it. We're trying to help you to think differently, to you from, for you to go from the known thinking to new thinking. So we don't necessarily need to hear the answers to do that. We just need to ask the questions and give you that space to be able to explore that which is quite an interesting concept for people. When I say to people, okay, let's use an analogy, talk me through what that looks like. And they're like, really? And I'm like, yeah, just, just work with me with this and let's see how it goes. And it's worked really well. It's interesting. I, I like the whole use of analogies because uh, when I was working with uh, a very, very introverted young lady, um, it was, I had to completely isolate her from the rest of the gym and, we just focused on the work for about two, three months and just me just trying to crack jokes at her just to open her up a little bit to me, which eventually worked. But it, I like the use of, uh, I like how you use the analogies of, uh, you know, one place, one, one thing compared to another thing and asking questions around that. Um, did you use that on yourself? Like I know moving from police department to life coach is a big change in somebody's life. And there's a lot of struggle that goes in with us uh, doing something like that. Did, did, did you use these techniques on yourself? Not knowingly <laughs> is the honest answer. So after I came out of the police, the first, one of the first things that I decided to do was to do an, an NLP coaching course. And it was a very deliberate decision to go and do a type of coaching that was completely different to the corporate and the sort of police style coaching. Um, I wanted to do something that was completely different. And I deliberately chose a trainer who uh, had a reputation for doing things very differently, very somatic trainer, very, you know, there was no notebooks, no taking notes. You, you went in and you practiced and, and you learned to play about with it which was very different. It's very different from any kind of learning that I'd ever done. So deliberately, de deliberately chose to do it that way. And what I found was, as I was learning these different techniques, it's like, I've done that. I've, 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 I, this is what I've done. I just didn't know that it was a thing. I didn't know it was a process or a methodology. I didn't know. But now I think that's how I had worked through different things more now I the coach that I check in with um, we've worked together uh, as peers 
for since 2014. So we've worked, kind of known each other for a very long time. It's more on a friendship level than that professional level. But when we're having conversations, she will ask me, do you, do you want me to chat through this as a friend or do you want me to coach you through this? And we'll step into that coaching space and she, you know, if I need it, she will step into that sort of coaching, put her coaching hat on and ask me very clear coaching questions and work, work through it. So I have, I'm you know, very lucky to have that when I need it. Um, but I do find that I would sometimes just ask myself coaching it. Okay. If I was my client, what would I ask right now? If I was my client, what would, how would I approach this? with them so I, it's tools in the toolbox isn't it of just being able to dig in and try something a little bit a little bit different but if I can't do it I phone my friend and she does it for me that's awesome um you're not the first person that I've had on the show that talks about uh, NLP which is neuring wow I can't say the word right now neuro-linguistic programming yeah you're not the first person on the show that i've had um i'm actually my interest is starting to peak on this kind mm. of coaching because it's so helpful if you can just explain to the audience briefly what neuro-linguistic programming is and how it can help somebody uh manage change the shifts in their lives and see the person that they're supposed to be mm. uh okay. see how they're supposed to be living uh step and stepping into that into that person okay let's see how to, how to explain this in in short and keeping it simple i mean neurolinguistic programming talks it's the the language of the mind and essentially it's the importance of how we see things and our perspective and how we talk to ourselves is is all is all in there um, and and one of the things that they talk about so nlp has sort of certain fundamentals that it, it's all agreed on there's lots of different people that have contributed to nlp as it is now over the years um, but it's one of the things that sticks out for me is the the way that we see things may not be as they are and so different people have a different perspective. We have this filter, we have a narrative and the way that we see things, the way that we translate things, we work through to fit that narrative, to fit through that filter until it fits the narrative that we hold. The narratives that we hold aren't always helpful to us. They would have been helpful at some point, but they're not always still helpful to us. So NLP is a lot of focusing of walking around it looking at it from different perspectives helping to challenge that narrative what do you want the narrative to be and then how can we help to shape that and i did a very um somatic style of nlp so lots of movement lots of listening or feeling where it feels different and paying attention to how it feels as much as what you think coming out of that cognitive into that somatic okay this is how it feels this is where i feel it so i i mix it I mix it in. I've done CBT training, positive psychology training as well. So I tend to mish and mash it up. So I'm probably not what you would call a, sort of a very clinical practitioner of NLP. I will use parts of NLP, parts of CBT, parts of positive psychology, dependent on who I'm with and what I think is going to work best with them. But it's basically trying to get that shift of 
how they see things, how they want to see things and how it can also then feel differently. Very nice. Um, like I said, like I, I'm, my interest is starting to peak in NLP and uh, I myself, I'm actually looking maybe next year to start dabbling into it a little bit. Yeah. Um, is there any like coaches that you should look into? Is there like different systems that people should look at? Um, is it more like of a personal feel for a coach? I'm not, there's, there's lots of NLP trainers out there. I think find for me, the decision for me was about finding a trainer who was very different to what I was used to, because that's part of NLP is about shifting. It's about seeing things differently. So that's what I wanted to do. Um, But I, I think find somebody, same as with any coach or trainer, find somebody who you feel you can connect with who you want to learn from, who you kind of find interesting. And there's a lot of trainers put free resources out for you to get that bit of a taster. I think if you go back to the origins of NLP and look to see where it started and how it's changed and evolved, you'll find lots of lots of people who were able to do that. And I, I wanted to also do something in person locally. Um, so that kind of restricts things a little bit as well in terms of the, the sort of geographical options but there's lots out there and I think it's definitely worth exploring even if you're just delving into YouTube and looking at different you know what different people do and Tony Robbins uh, a lot of what he does is got NLP elements to it there's lots of people out there but even people who don't necessarily know it's NLP are talking about NLP they just don't know that that's the methodology that sits in behind it very cool. Very cool. Um, it also deeps into somebody's deep values of who they are and yes. what and how they present themselves. How do you help people tap into their values and see their true values that of, and what makes them special? Values is probably one of the things I work through most with people. And it doesn't surprise me, but I work with people who are in their 50s, 60s, who can give you some idea of what their core values are, but they don't know, they don't know, know what their values are. And I don't think they realize how their values impact their world viewpoint, their perspective on things, how it changes, how they feel, how they respond. So it's one of, it's quite often one of the first things that I do with clients is to work through their values, work through their needs. And then we can talk about those when something happens and they respond to it or they have a strong emotional response to something that's happened we can see where where it hasn't been alignment with their values why has it triggered them why has it upset them so much but the person next to them is like come on it's not that big a deal but for you it just creates this really strong emotional response and that's that's our values that's when our values aren't in alignment and a lot of people who come to me talk about feeling stuck feeling frustrated then on paper, life looks really good, but they don't feel really good about life. And quite often that's their values that aren't in alignment. The needs are not being met, even though on paper it all looks good. It doesn't feel like they would expect it to feel. So the values come into it. You know, I, mine are, are written right next to me. And various, the, the one good thing or one of the good things about being self-employed is you get to align your company and your business and the way you 
handle your business, the way you manage things and people and how you show up every day, you can align with your values much, much more difficult sometimes when you work for a company. But companies should be recruiting people with a shared values with their organization, with what their mission is. That should be part of the recruitment process of bringing in, because that's what shapes the culture. If you recruit people that share the values of the company and the direction of the company, then you shape the culture that you want. But most people recruit looking purely at skills and talent. And then you've got to try and shape the behaviors and the values within that culture. And so that's why you can be really good at your job, but not a good fit for where you're working. So values are it's the golden thread for me. You brought up so many amazing talking points with that one thing. I want to dive into a couple of them, okay. um, especially with companies, um, companies with hiring people specifically with their, with the company's values. Do you think it's in the company's best interests to hire people outside of the values to give the company a broader perspective of their products? Mm, good question. I, I think we all have our own personal values. We have to have shared values as a collective for people to be working. If you want a group of people to get from A to B, you have to tap into what the shared values are and what the shared benefits are and what the shared direction is to move people together forward. Uh, I think there's, there's a benefit to recruiting people with different, different values. They need to be shared values with what the company values are. They need, to, they need to be in alignment. They might not need to be the same, but they do need to be in alignment. But you want the diversity of people, of, of culture, of the ways of thinking, of, because everything, everybody has something to contribute. Uh, and I love the idea that you know, the, the more differences that you have around the table, it's like the orchestra. You don't want a table of people that are all violins. You want people who all bring something different to the table because that's the symphony, isn't it, of having different people around there that all have something to contribute but you've all got to be playing on the same song sheet does that does that make sense I, that's that's and that's the analogy that fits for me is you've got lots of people bringing something different to the table but they're all playing to the same tune it does because um uh, growing born and raised in toronto like i mean the world doesn't get more diverse than Toronto. We have every single nation in the, in one city. Yeah. And it's like you turn a corner and you can be hearing a different language, trying a different cuisine and your friends don't always revolve around the, the heritage that you're from. It's mm -hmm. a diverse, it's a diverse uh, friendship, right? Because you have people from India, from Pakistan, from Russia, from the UK, from France, from the, from, everywhere and it's um it gives you a bigger perspective of the world um i know where you're going from i know where you're coming from is you know everybody has to have the same mindset when it comes to values and and that's but it's it's also good to have different perspectives from different places from around the world to give you a yeah. broader um appreciation of what you can offer Mm. I, I once heard uh, a speaker and uh, they were saying that 
if you are a manager and you've got your team around the table and the team is agreeing with you, you have either not recruited well because you've recruited people that think like you or you're not managing well because you're not giving them that confidence, encouragement, empowerment to speak up and, and say something different and contribute something different. And I love that because it's all very well having a whole orchestra sitting around the table. But if you've only got the violins that speak, you might as well just have violins sitting at the table. So you need to encourage people to express their differences of opinion and challenge the way that things are being done or things that are, you know, with the way things are being approached or how things could be done, because that's how you keep things fresh and keep things moving but you need a difference of ideas around the table but you also need to hear those ideas no i i totally understand i totally understand what you're saying and, and it's and it's and it's important because uh i think it was dr jordan peterson that said that without an argument how can you have a debate yeah and you have to be able to offend people otherwise how can you have a debate I think we need to be our own critical thinkers a little bit more. I, I think the world is shaping into a space. You think about social media, the algorithms of social media. It pushes more content of what we already think, of what we already believe to be true onto our timeline. So it's just strengthening that narrative because it's filtering the opposite opinions or the difference opinions. It's filtering it out and it's filtering in the things that we already agree with so we have to be our own critical thinkers we have to challenge what we believe to be true by following people who think differently even if we don't like it we have to hear why people think what they think you know understanding sitting with somebody who has a very different opinion probably means they have very different experiences that have informed that opinion and we can learn from that it's not about changing it it's not about feeling that our opinion needs to be changed because we're sitting with somebody who sees it differently it's just about understanding it's about understanding that different viewpoints exist and so many of these things they're not a right or wrong it's not fact it's opinion it's somebody's thought process it's somebody's beliefs it's somebody's world viewpoint and the more we sit with people who are different who think differently who have different experiences and we understand why they think differently to us. We learn more about that person, but we also learn more about all of these different viewpoints that exist and it just broadens our own way of thinking. Doesn't have to necessarily change it, but it just broadens it. Just again, this is not where, this is big picture rather than tunnel vision because our own way of thinking, we have to be open to at least understanding that there's a different you know what we see may not be what is true do you also believe that um immersing yourself in something like that could actually help break down the barriers that are uh, that are stopping you from definitely. achieving success definitely i mean, if we want to achieve success we model excellence of those who've achieved success so we have to be with people who have achieved what we want to achieve or we have to learn from the people who've already achieved that and understand what they've done. What are they doing? What's the difference that makes the difference? That's an NLP. What's the difference that makes the difference? What is that person doing that you are not doing yet? 
how can you learn from that person? What do they do differently? Um, so NLP talks about modeling that behavior, modeling the internal behavior of what they think, what they're paying attention to, how they process it, but also modeling that external behavior of what we can see. You know, in a basketball world, if you want to be a good three-point shooter, you're going to model that excellence of Steph Curry, aren't you? You're going to watch what he does. What position are his feet in? Where's his arm? Where's his elbow? Where's he looking? Where's his focus? But you also want to know what's he thinking? What does he say to himself? What's his thought process? What does he feel? What's he paying attention to? That's how you model excellence. So you need to surround yourself and understand as much as possible from people who you want to learn from. And that could be to achieve success. It might just be in terms of integration of wanting to understand how different people live and and how different people show up in the world because we can learn from them too. It's not necessarily about success, but it's sometimes it's just about how can we grow and evolve as an individual? What can we learn from others? Because we don't have all of the answers. No, that's that's true. And uh, I, I'm always afraid of people who say that I have all the answers for you. I turn around and run away from them. It's like, <laughs> you don't even know me. <laughs> but it, it's it's interesting because it brings up another interesting question and an interesting comparison um, between personal attributes and values and how mm-hmm. they can actually form one another. What's the difference between a personal attribute and a value? never thought about it like that before Hmm. I think the attribute can be more of our character but our values shape our character because our values shape our beliefs they shape the way we think the way we feel the way we, we respond to things and that's what shows up in our character so I think this is me thinking out loud here I think the values definitely shape the character in the same way that it shapes the way we think, the way we speak, the way we feel. I think it's it's part of it. And my values are making a difference, positivity and continuous improvement. So does do they show up in my character? Yeah, and I've already shared some with you, haven't I? That stubbornness, that drive, that determination, that's about continuous improvement. For me, it's not about the achievement, it's about the journey that you get there. So, so much of my character and the way that I show up in the world is shaped by that. Making a difference, it's making a difference for me, but it's also making a difference for other people. But being positive with it is really important to me. And, you know, we talked about humour and use of humour. Humour is a huge coping mechanism for me, but it's also a fantastic tool in coaching. Because when you take people to that place where it's uncomfortable, humour is a great way to just break that state give them a breather and then go back into it we can deal with serious things and not be serious with it we can be positive with it we can be slightly you know it doesn't have to be dealt with in a particular way that I think people think it needs to be dealt with so to go back to the question I think values shape our character and our attributes I love it I love it and it also defines our purpose at the end of it and how do you help Uh, people find their purpose in life? I quite often use the Ikigai with people. So I don't know whether you've seen it's the Ikigai is the Japanese 
uh, way of meaning, uh, mean, meaning of life. So what it does very, very quickly, it's four circles that overlap. So it's the things that you love and the things that you're good at, which might not always be the same thing, the things that you can be paid for and things that the world needs. So I will quite often get clients to brain dump the four things individually, and then we start to look at where they overlap. Now, some people have four, you know, the same thing or the same theme of things on all four. Not everybody does, but when all four overlap, that, that can often be that central purpose. You've got profession in there. You've got mission in there as well. You've got the things that you love to do, the things that you can be good at. But if you can find something that you're good at, something that you also love to do, that you can be paid for it, and it's something that contributes to what the world needs. That's what the Japanese call your ikigai. That's interesting. I've never heard. I've never heard of the ikigai. Ah, uh, okay. Yes, I don't know that I've pronounced that correctly. It's I K I G A I. Okay, I, I, so I've never. Japanese translation is reason for being. Okay, cool. Very cool. Um, very cool. Um, it, it, it's funny because the reason why I, I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, finding your purpose and working towards your purpose. And, you know, I found my purpose two years ago and I, it's, it's dry. It's this drive to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. The problem is all the people in my little circle, they're like, you know, uh, are you sure you want to do that? Don't you want to just get a job? Aren't you comfortable with just getting a, finding a job? And you're not making any money off of this. So what's the point? How, how do you help people um, numb out the naysayers, the unbelievers? I think it's important to recognize that most people do this with good intention, that quite often it's their own fears that feed those thoughts. Uh, they might not be your fears. So I think the conversation uh, is around recognizing that and explaining that you hear them, that you acknowledge that they're coming from a place of love and that's that they're there to support. And then also just talking through why it's important. Why is it important to you? What have you considered? I think ultimately there's some, it's trying to offer some reassurance that you have thought about these things because that's quite often what people are trying to do, isn't it? They're just trying to check that you're not going into something blindly, that you have thought about things from different perspectives. But ultimately your purpose, that sense of purpose is very individual to you and not everybody is going to get it. Not everybody's going to get on board with it. So sometimes it's just about saying, okay, I, I recognize that, you know, I acknowledge that you may not see that this is a good option, but I want your support. It's important for me to have your support. And this is how you can support me in a different way. That's more in line with the support that I'm looking for rather than the support that is being offered right now it's difficult isn't it it comes from a place of love it's a good intention the unintended consequences that it can come across is quite negative and I don't think people always see that when they show up in these conversations and say those things that for them it doesn't feel like a negative so sometimes it's just about understanding or explaining to people actually when you say that that for me feels quite negative 
it feels like you're trying to talk me out of that and give them that opportunity to explain where they're coming from and what their concern is because it, you know nine times out of ten it's coming from a place of love but sometimes that place of love is like an anchor that's holding your ship in the harbor and you want to set sail so you've got to explain to them why it's important to set sail and what plans you've got in place to set sail that you know that it's it's a comfort zone the harbor is a comfort zone it's familiar but it's not it's not where you want to be yeah it's almost like um it's almost like the person that's listening to it almost feels like you know they're trying to sabotage your plans mm. and trying to derail uh your 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 end game and all that and 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 it's hard it's it's very hard because you have this amazing vision for what you want to achieve in life and um what you want to be if you will your your legacy leave your legacy yeah. and you have all these naysayers that are really close to you and they're saying just give up on your dreams. Just give up on yourself. It's okay. Come here. Come here. We'll hug you. We'll caress you. We'll, 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 we'll keep you safe. And it's like, well, I don't want that. You know, and it's, um, that, that's why I asked. It was because like, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard conversation to have with somebody who, like you said, is coming from a place of love and coming yeah. from a place of past experiences, that you have tried and quote unquote failed mm. and you're trying it again. And it's like, you know, you're just going to fail again kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult, isn't it? But I think the, the, the challenge around that is that if you, if you were to ask or somebody else was to ask that individual and, you know, and say, you know, why, why is, why do you feel so negative about what John's dreams are? They're like, well, I'm not, I know I don't feel negative. I'm just really worried about him. Or there's a fear that underlies there somewhere. There's their own fear. That's their narrative. That's their filter on the world. And it's, it's being passed on to you. So I think it's that trying to understand what is it you're worried about? I love that you're worrying about me. I, I think it's great that you're worrying about me. What is, what is the worry? Because I would love to be able to talk through how I've thought about that, how I've considered that and why this is still important to me, even though I know it's not going to be an easy route to take. If you can meet them where they're coming from and try and again, it's, don't close it down. It's a different point of view listen to what their concerns are, listen to what maybe their experiences are. Maybe you can learn from their experience of why it didn't work out for them or why they've got concerns around it. Of, I think NLP talks about curiosity a lot, coming things, coming into conversations with that childlike curiosity of, okay, why do you think that? Why do you feel that? Trying to learn to understand, try and listen to understand rather than, get defensive and close it down of just coming into that conversation with real curiosity of oh that's really interesting that you feel that way can you tell me where you know what what's making you think that or why might you why you might think that because I might have missed something and I don't want to miss something because I really want to make this work of it's tough it's tough because there's there's that part of you that's like that's my dreams back off and let me let me get stuff done because this is really important to me. But at the same time, when it is coming from that place of love, when it is well-intentioned, engaging in it and listening to it and acknowledging that they've got some concerns, 
there's something in there to learn and then you can close it down and go okay thank you that's really you know it's really kind that you thought about that or I you know I would love that you felt that you could share that with me because I know that you know that this is important to me and thank you and you know feed, feedback is a gift sharing their opinion is a gift doesn't mean you need to open it or do anything with it it's almost like becoming a coach for mm -hmm. that person yeah like becoming a life coach for the person and helping that person understand their life choices. Um, this whole, this whole episode, we've been talking about like choosing your life and being able to, and being able to transverse into it and like all this great stuff. But the one thing that this whole thing has been encompassing that I've been get, uh, getting over is the environment that the person uh, is in or was in. Mm. how it shaped the person that they are today how important have you seen from your police from being a uh, working in the police station to coaching people how important has the environment external and internal been for people to make the decisions that they currently make i think it's definitely an influencer i don't know that it controls it because you can have two people in the same environment and show up in the world very differently. So we still have personal choice. I think it influences it, uh, but ultimately we have control of the decisions that we make and the behavior that we choose and how we choose to show up in the world. I think, that, yeah, it's an influencer, but it doesn't control it. I love it because uh, I actually grew up in two hoods. So, okay. and um, yeah, it's, uh, I understand what poverty is. I've never lived it myself. Yeah. Uh, I've had friends that have been, have made some very bad decisions in their lives. Uh, I know one, I know of one friend in my past who is either in prison right now or is dead. Um, and I, I've, I've seen it firsthand how, you know, the external environment, how it shows this, grand golden egg but inside the egg is rotten mm. and they just don't see it all they see is this shiny gold egg how do you how do you tell somebody it's not what outside is what counts it's what's on the inside how, how do you go about having that kind of conversation so that they can make a proper life a, a good life choice rather than a bad life choice yeah I mean, it starts from that question, isn't it? Of, well, what do you want? What do you want instead? Now, I think, and it's a very coaching, it's a very popular coaching question of, okay, so you don't want what you want. You don't want what you have now. Or you don't like who you are now. Or you don't like what is going on for you right now. So we can talk about that for an hour. We can talk about what, what isn't working, or we can turn this conversation around. What do you want instead? What is important to you? What do you want in your future? What do you want that to look like? And then once you've got that picture, then we can start to talk about, okay, what's the first step to making that happen? What's the one thing that you can do right now? What's the one small change that you can make that's going to start you on that journey from where you are now to where you want to get to? And it is that refocus for me. It's refocusing on the solution. What do you want instead? Rather than focusing on what the problem is. 
most people in this world will face some kind of adversity, some kind of challenge. Unfortunately, some people will experience more and some people will experience less. At some point, we all face that adversity and we're all given in that adversity, we learn things about ourselves that we might not know, we might not have known existed. We might not have known we had that within us. So there's another question I ask is, okay, when this happened, what did you learn about yourself? What do you know about yourself now that you might not know had this not have happened? And how can you use those attributes? How can you use the values that you learned are important? How can you use that in your future? So what, what, what it took to get you through something is what you can then use to help build something new. You now know something about you that you wouldn't have known had this not have happened. So how can you now use that to your advantage? An environment is, you know, do, you need to, do you need to step out of that? What, what have you learned from that? What are you learning is good? What are you learning is not so good? What do you want to take with you? And what do you want to leave behind? Now, I think there's this real focus on, it's not even intentional sometimes or even conscious. Everybody carries everything with them, but we don't have to carry everything with us. Sometimes we can just leave that behind. We don't need to bring all of our experiences with us. We can bring the learning and we can leave the experiences behind. We don't need to carry everything with us. Um, you know, I think it's just, okay, what did you learn and how can you use this? What's going to be useful to you in the future? Okay, and what wasn't useful that you can leave behind? And it's just it's just about reframing things. Again, that's that's NLP, you know, reframe it of, okay, what was positive in this? Because there's always something positive. Even in the most horrible situations, there is going to be a positive in there. And sometimes the positive is the learning. Well, actually, I learned that I'm stronger than I thought I was. Okay, that's a positive. What can you now do with that? Now that you know that, what can you do with that? So there's always a positive in that. And that's the question for me. The coaching question from me is, okay, now you know that, now you've experienced that. How can you use that in the future? How can you make this learning? You know, you've got this tool in your toolkit. What are you going to do with it? How can you, how can you use what you've learned as a positive? It is about a reframe. It's about helping people to see it differently and sometimes I have conversations with people and I'll be like this really negative thing and I'm like oh but what about this and they're like oh I'd never thought of it that way I'm like okay so we just keep asking questions until people see things from a different angle and and see things without it going through that filter because that's really important I I love it I, I love what you just said because you, you actually triggered another question that wasn't on that wasn't scheduled for me. I'm like, what you're talking about is all these labels that we've put placed on people because mm -hmm. we place people in specific boxes based off of where they live, what they look like, what their upbringing was, what their heritage may have been or what their heritage is. How fair is it for other people to put labels on other people when they don't know anything about them? Oh, I have a real issue with labels. Even the word labels gives me the shudders. I, I think that the labels, the whole boxing, that, that I, I, if oh, if I could wave a magic wand, I would love to get rid of that. It's not helpful. It's it's not helpful because when people have those labels, it so often it's almost like, well, I can't do that now. So you look at, you know, uh, a diagnosis or 
a, a you know a, a name of something and then all of a sudden it's like okay well now I am confined to this and what I love about coaching is it's about pushing that it's about testing that of, okay there, there's there might be a wall there but you know how, how secure is it just give it a bit of a nudge what might happen and you know again people say well I can't do that because but what if you could how do you know what if yeah I think it's that I uh, boxes boxes and labels yeah I, if I I would love to be able to get rid of those and I people hold on to them it's that it becomes part of their identity people's experiences become part of their identity and it's like oh well because of this well but what else because of that you know it's it it just weighs it's just this weiting and a restriction um and it in my experience personally and professionally very very rarely helpful so sometimes those coaching questions are okay well what if that wasn't there what if you didn't have that label what would life be like if you weren't who people have told you that you are, who could you be? Oh, I, I love it. Like I, I, I myself, I hate labels and I hate mm-hmm. boxes. And I took it from one of my, uh, one of my ancestors, Alexander the Great. And uh, it was one of the stories that came out of it, I think is a, a magical story. It's, I think it's an amazing story that he did. He, uh, he was curious about why the Greeks and the Persians hated each other so much. So he thought that there was something wrong with the Persians on the inside. So he captured, when he captured uh, a Persian soldier, he found one of his soldiers that was ready to betray him or betrayed him in some way. This is just a story that came out of there. So he grabbed both their arms and he chopped them off to see what's on the inside to, to compare them. And he's like, well, it looks the same. Looks exactly the same. It only looks different on the outside, just a little bit different on the outside. He goes, so why should I be treating these people any differently? And that's a big, one of the big reasons why Alexander the Great has, we still talk about all his exploits today and how he integrated Greek, um, ancient Greek. I'm not going to say Greek because Greece right now, I'm not going to get into it. (laughs) I'm not going to get into it. But ancient Greek culture was integrated to the East because of that kind of mindset. Yeah. So I, I, I love that you don't like boxes and labels because I'm on the same boat as you. I don't see people in as a label or a box. I see people as people. Because mm. we all go through the same stuff. Yeah. I'll do the same. Same color. <laughs> Until that color changes, we're all the same. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we all dive, it doesn't stop. So yeah, <laughs> it's, ultimately it's, it's, I'm not, I think there's, there's something about embracing the differences and not using them. You know, it, it's about seeing, it's the opportunity rather than the challenge, isn't it? Of, okay, you know, pe- people show up in the world in different ways, but why is that a bad thing? Why is that not an amazing thing? You know, integration of heritages and cultures and people who think differently. Why is that not an amazing? Why is the go-to not a positive? Why is the go-to a negative? And I know it's fear-based, 
I, I get that it's the belonging and it's it's the psycho, psycho, psychology comes into it. I know that it frustrates me that the, we're not hardwired to go for the positive, but we we have that unconscious bias. We have the negative bias, don't we? We have the negative bias because that's what keeps us safe. That's what keeps us alive, even if it's not real. But I wish that we could just tweak it, tweak it a little bit, run a run a program update on humans to see things as the positive first. It probably would wipe out humankind, but it would make it such a nicer place before that happened. I think it's important to have, to a certain extent, mm. those kinds of boxes. And I'm talking yeah. about a very fine line because it makes you curious about um, an, another culture, another place in the world. Like if it wasn't for my curiosity about Angkor Wat, I would have never gone to Cambodia and learned even more about some of the horrors that happened in Cambodia in the yeah. early seventies. And I, which I never even knew. And um, Vietnam, like to understand what happened in Vietnam, even before when, you know, Vietnam, the Vietnam war happened. And it, I think it, it, I think it's kind of important to have a box, but it's not that important to hold on to it, to start, pointing fingers at other people if if it triggers a curiosity in a person to go and visit a different culture to experience a different way of life to ask questions about themselves i think that's what that's what you know the for me it's more of the um the the the, the salt of life mm. the, the 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 flavor of life yeah it's taking it from fear into curious curiosity isn't it of of if we if we could make the go-to being curiosity of oh that's different what can I learn from that rather than that's different I need to be worried about that yeah absolutely but people fear the unknown they fear the difference don't they and I get it that's where why we are we are hardwired for that because that's what keeps you alive it's what keeps you safe but I think people need to remember and work on that the positive thinking the positive outlook is is learned that's the bit that we have to practice that's not the hardwired bit that's the the negative bias the fear is hardwired we have to learn to keep flipping it over of okay well that's one side of things what's the other side that's learned we have to practice that because it's just not it's just not how humans are, are made. No, no. Um, Zoe, I could go on for another hour and a half with you <laughs> on this, but we're coming up close to the end of the show and I'm respecting your time and everything. Thank you. Uh, and these are seven or eight questions that I ask all my guests. I just okay. want to get your perspective on these seven or eight topics. Okay. With the increase in people suffering from depression from the past two years of uncertainty that we've lived through, what would be the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? Change is a constant, so it will change again. So if, if you're not liking where you are now, it can be changed. Short answer, off Love the top it. of my head. <laughs> Love it. Uh, what's the one thing that you do daily that amplifies your ability to stay focused? Oh, I plan, 
I, 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 you can't see now because it's dark, but all of these post-it notes are actions and things to do. So I very routine based of, I know what I need to get done each day, set my priorities and I know what I need to get done each day. That very helps. Cool. Very cool. If you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself at 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? Uh, there's a bumpy ride coming, but it's going to, it's going to be okay. And it will, it will all be worth it. Cool. Looking back, would you change anything? No. It all happens for a reason, right? Yep. It all happens for a reason. I, I truly believe that there's been experiences in my past that would life would have been easier if they didn't hadn't happened but I they have put tools in the toolbox and shaped who I have become and I that's the bit I wouldn't want to change that butterfly effect isn't it of if those things hadn't happened would I be where I am today and I wouldn't want to risk that so I'll take the bumpy ride I just might have a cushion to sit on very cool I love that answer by the way I love it thank you uh what scares you Uh, the safety and security of my son is—it's a very hard thing to answer. My you know, my son is my kind of center, the center of my world. So I guess his his safety, his security. Interesting answer. Especially with some of the things that are going on in the world, because th there's things I can't protect him from. It's that thing's apparent, isn't it? Is that you're, you feel like your role is there to protect them and to keep them safe. And now he's 20. That is not in my circle of control anymore, that he has to go and live and do his thing and live his life. So, yeah, there's that. A little bit of a follow-up question to that. Okay. Do you think it's important for him to experience the bumps in the road? 100%. And we've, I've, we've, I've had that conversation with him of, I think, especially since he got into that, his teens where he's, he's learning of, I have parented as a coach, which I, I've had people around me that like, oh, okay, that's not how I would do it. I'm like, okay, that's you and, and your choice. Parenting is a very individual thing, isn't it? But I have very consciously taken that step back. I've guided, I've supported, but he is I haven't rolled my sleeves up and fixed things for him I've taken that step back and saying okay right how do you want to deal with this what's important to you how do you want to play this out what what can I do to help support you to do that but I'm not doing this for you so your bump you you get over it but I, I'm going to be here to help you to get over that because that's how he's learned he's got to put the tools in his toolbox because I can't follow him around in life with my toolbox and fix things for him because he one he wouldn't let me <laughs> and two yeah I I have my life to live now he is grown also so I think that for me is what's important in parenting is it's not you've got to help them to learn which tools to use and when to lose them because use them because that's life skills. 
Yeah. You got to let them, yeah. you got to let life punch them in the nose a couple of times and kick them in, in the, between the legs yeah. a couple of times. Yeah. It's He'll important. be okay. He'll he, be fine. He's, he's learned how to get up. So yeah, <laughs> that, I think that's the reassurance is that I can't control the safety or security, but I can reassure myself that I've done everything I can to put him in a good position to be able to deal with that when it happens. And that's saying a lot, him being able to stand back up and go at it again. That's a huge, yeah. huge thing in life. Yeah. Um, continuing on, mm-hmm. where do you see Phoenix Life Coach in the next five years? I'd love it to be more of the same. I think the success of the business for me is not about the income, it's the impact I I love what I do. I love that I get to choose what I do and I love who I work with and the opportunities that come up with that. The only difference is that I would like to be moving around the world as I do this. So that's, that's the kind, that's success for me is being able to work and travel that work is something that is part of my life. It's not my life in its entirety. Very cool. Uh, How about you personally? Where do you see yourself? in the next five years? I've never, ever been able to answer that question. Not even (laughs) once. I've never had a a plan. I didn't even plan my business further than 12 weeks ahead. So I I have no idea. I'd I'd like to think that I am, I'm traveling and meeting lots of new people and learning lots of, learning lots of new things from life and different ways of, of life. I would love that to be I would love that to be the case. Other than that, I'm I'm pretty good, to be honest. That's awesome. That's amazing. Um, Where can people find more about you? Best bet is to go to the website, uh, which is phoenixlifecoach.co.uk. There's all of the links in there. I'm on all the socials. I'm where you would expect somebody to be, I think. If not, I've dropped the ball somewhere, but I'm on all of the socials. Um, And if you head to the website, there's plenty of information on that. Cool. And I will post all the links uh, with the show notes so everybody has easy access to oh, you, Thank you and all your programs. Any final thoughts? No, but it's been, well, I say no, and then I'm going to say something, aren't I? <laughs> Why do we do that? Do you have anything else to say? No, but I've loved it. It's been a really, really interesting conversation and yeah, really appreciate your time and inviting me on. Thank you. Well, Zoe, thank you so much for coming on, uh, coming on and have spending almost an hour and a half with me. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't, don't be, don't be apologetic. Like I said, like I could spend another hour and a half just talking to you, um, especially what you do. So thank you so much. Like, I mean, I know being a personal trainer, a health coach and all, you know, podcaster and all that stuff, how much work really goes into programs coaching clients there's a there's a lot of work that goes into it and what you're offering with your expertise with your past and how you help guide people is 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 absolutely amazing so I'm really grateful for all the hard work that you put in and I want to just give a big big thank you for a, a, a lot of gratitude towards you and uh and to hopefully your company will explode thank you I really appreciate your time. Thanks. Going through hard times is just a test. What you need to know is that when you get out of whatever you're going through, you will be stronger than ever before, and you don't need to go through it alone.
Always know that you are not alone. Stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories that are just like yours. Until then, to everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or a good night wherever you may be in this crazy world. Hey everybody, it's John from Resilient Reboot Productions and the Fitness Oracle. Thank you for watching this episode and I really hope that you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to subscribe, hit the bell, and share this video if you are watching this on YouTube or on Rumble. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast Breaker, or whatever streaming service that you may be using, please give us a five-star rating and a positive review as it will help us reach more people that are suffering from mental health issues. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to join us on Pod Inbox. This is a great platform that we can keep the conversation going. Over the years, we've discovered that the best way to help people regain their confidence back of whatever fitness goal that they are looking for is to put together a tight-knit community that will be here to support you in that journey. So in order for us to do that, we are partnering up with Pod Inbox to help us create that platform and give you that opportunity to uh, have your voice. So all you have to do is click on the link in the show notes and get your set up your free account on Pod Inbox right now and let's hear your voice. So I can't wait to start talking to you guys there. It's going to be a, it's a great platform for all of us to get together and discuss the issues that are, that we're suffering from until then I'll see you guys soon.